Hey, glad you're here this morning. Turn, uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. Uh, that's where we're going to be today, 1 John chapter 3. Uh, before we do that, uh, just a brief announcement about something exciting that's going on in the life of our church. Wednesday, September 29th, uh, we have this event called Discover Double Oak. Um, Discover Double Oak is our way of, of helping uh, us get connected with the church. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, we have folks that are here in this room uh, that are new. If you're new, um, here's the reality. I know you're new, um, and, and that's okay. Uh, we, we want to welcome you into a place where you can get to know who we are as a church. So Discover Double Oak is, is something that we use. It's something that we employ to, to kind of help that process facilitate. Here's the thing. I grew up in a church where you just walk down the aisle, and you just kind of like check the box and said, I want to join. And that is a fantastic way for a number of churches. For us, we found it better to say, hey, look, we really want to get to know people, and we want people to get to know us. So we just have this thing that we do. It's just a dinner, Wednesday, September 29th, 6 p.m. Uh, child care is provided. So the thing for us is we say, hey, look, we want to share with you a little bit about the church. Just take a moment to, to have a meal with you, get to know you, talk to you, and let you know who our staff is. I grew up in a world where I, I think I, I knew folks at church. Likely I knew them from a distance. Maybe I passed them in a commons sort of type setting or whatever. But maybe I didn't have real conversations with, with the worship pastor, with the student minister, with the children's minister. Uh, I didn't maybe have that type of relationship. We want to, we want to give you that. We want you to know us, and we want to know you and your family so we can minister to you in a healthy way, uh, in a helpful way. Uh, so we want to invite you to this. Uh, 6 p.m. It'll, it'll, it'll last an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Child care is provided. So uh, if, if you think you can get through it and, and kind of smile and nod and pretend like you're listening, you at least get a, get a free date out of it, all right? Um, look, 6 p.m. Wednesday, September 29th, uh, it'll be our break during our Double Oak University sessions. I hope you'll make plans to attend if you're interested in joining the church or uh, knowing more about us. All right, First John, chapter 3, it's where we are today. Um, just let's just do it, just a, try to do a brief recap. First uh, John, this letter uh, is written to um, a number of of folks. It's really what we would call a circular letter. This letter that John writes as an elder, he's, he's ultimately, we read First John uh, and, and Second John and Third John, and you get to see his title as elder. He's one who's shepherding, who's leading, who's caring for the flock. All of these folks that are part of these churches uh, in the area in and around Ephesus, he's writing this letter to them with a number of distinct purposes. Um, there are folks that have been a part of these churches that have begun to claim that Jesus is not God himself, uh, that Jesus is just a, 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 maybe a prophet, maybe one who is spiritual, maybe one who had some sort of divinity for some limited time, but is not truly one with the Father. Um, and there are others who are not only saying that, they might say, hey, look, life is about having a spiritual experience, and then beyond that, you just kind of do whatever you want to do. You can have this mystical moment, you can have this moment of engagement with God, but ultimately, the way that you live your life, the things that you do, your patterns of, of speech and conduct and behavior, those things aren't of ultimate consequence as long as you've had sort of this mystical connection with God. And John pushes back against all of this, and he does it, by restating and reaffirming and continually espousing what the gospel really is. And here's what he says it is. It's love. And we'll see today that it's not just like love. It's not just something that resembles love. It's not just a demonstration of love. The gospel in and of itself is love. 
Absolutely. John seeks to help his hearers, these folks, know this. And this is what he tells them to do with this gospel, with this good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He tells them to believe it. And he tells them to live in it, to embrace the reality that comes with fellowship with God, the Father in the Son, by the Spirit. And then he says, live it out. Very particularly and plainly, he's going to show us, God's Spirit rather, is going to show us through John's Word what that looks like. So let's read this together. This is 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. It says this. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of the Son, of His Son, rather, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, Thanks be to God. Verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. That for comes from somewhere. Verse 10. John very clearly states, and we looked at it last week in those verses, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, that there's this astonishing love, this love that John would describe. And when he says what kind, it really means this phrase, it means of what country. He means in the best way that he can articulate it, the best way that he can say it, this love of God that comes in Jesus Christ is so beyond, it's so outside, it is so Not only much more, it is so radically different than every love there has ever been. It's full and it's perfect and it's complete to the point that we have been adopted, that we have been given status as children of God in God's Son. That astonishing love is pictured, it's lived out in the lives of believers. Look back into verse 10, and you see these words, that it's the righteous, and it's those who love one another. That's what constitutes the assurance of knowing that we are in Christ. And so with that in mind, John writes, and he says this, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. 
Now, if, if you've been with us for a few weeks, if, if you've been worshiping here for the last five weeks or so, one of the things that you'll recognize is at this point, this is pretty repetitive. It's pretty repetitive. A lot of life, a lot of light, a lot of love, a lot of righteousness, a lot of unrighteousness, a lot of love, and then there's also some love. Like the, the things are being repeated continuously to the point where I think a lot of us would look at this, we would read this, we would hear this and say, do I get to like gum every other week? Because he said a lot of the same things. Here's the reality of what John is doing. He is stating to them very plainly, I'm not telling you something new. In fact, he's giving credence to why he's telling them something not new. He's telling them something old, and it's this, the message that they heard from the very beginning, we should love one another. So this circular letter, this this letter that John writes, we hear it, we listen to it, we read it with our own eyes. And I think one of the things that kind of pops up is it doesn't really read like a letter. It doesn't really even read like a list of instructions, and there's all of these things that are kind of circling around this light, this life, this love, this righteousness, this confession of sin, this understanding of sin. All these things are being reapproached and readdressed at different times and kind of pops and in small ways. Why is that? Well, it's because of this. It sounds a lot more like a sermon than a letter. Because what John is trying to do in these moments is to remind believers of that which is important, that which they heard from the very beginning, because the world, these people that have crept into the church to, to give lies, to say that Jesus isn't who he says he is, to say that there is a life that you can live that is ultimately for you, you do what you want to do, and everything will be fine, just go and, and be happy, eat, drink, be married, for tomorrow we're dying kind of stuff, right? That kind of stuff, that kind of life. He says, you don't understand. This is what the attacks of the world look like. you got to remember to fight this, not with something new, but what you heard from the very beginning. This is the same John who would describe and write of the good shepherd. And the fact that John would write of the good shepherd really kind of just necessitates us to understand that shepherds are shepherds because they have sheep. And that's what we are. We're people that are typically slow, we're forgetful, and we're stubborn. And look, I appreciate sheep as much as the next person, all right? You do too, cotton, the fabric of our lives, all right? Everybody's wearing something today. I'm thankful for sheep. But we need a shepherd, one who directs us, one who guides us, one who teaches us to live. And John says, don't forget the place that you've come from. And this is what we're called to do. This is what the good shepherd tells us to do, is to love one another. John does it in this way. He, he reaffirms and he restates this in a new way. He goes kind of the negative path and he describes Cain. Remember the story of Cain and Abel, one who murders his brother. Why does it happen? Look back in to verse 12. It says this, We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's 
righteous. So at the core of this, there's a deep envy. There's a deep jealousy in which Cain resents his brother's righteousness. He resents his brother's righteousness. And this is a setup, this is a picture that John will use to describe the relationship that the believer has with the world. You look back into chapter 2 and you remember, do not love the world or anything in the world, right? Why is that? Look at what he says in verse 13. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. As you start would say, an ancient saint would say, look, look, Cain is the prototype of the picture to come of the world. The world that hates you. Here's the reality. Jesus warned us of this. This is John 15, 18, and 19. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. John is making it clear to these believers, and God longs to make it clear to us that that we are in this place and yet very much not of it. That we don't look like this world in myriad ways. And we will encounter hatred because of this. It's a natural consequence of walking by the Spirit. But here is the beauty, here is the hope. Look into verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. All right, a couple of things uh, that are really, really important here. So John walks through this and he says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. They live in death. They're out for themselves. They love themselves preeminently. They care about their own needs. Paul would describe it in such a way, in just a crude way, that he would say it's just about the needs of their stomach in Romans 1, right? It's just about satisfying the most primal urges, not looking beyond oneself to the interests of another. And this is what he says in verse 14. We have passed out of death into life. Now, then he says, because we love the brothers... You gotta be really careful here as you read this, these words to understand and recognize that it is not the love of the brothers that causes us to pass from life to death. It is not loving, it is not an action of us and who we are that constitutes our regeneration. It's not what I do that makes me what I am. Instead, I do what I am. This is what John says. We have passed from death to life because we love each other. We have evidence of this new life because of the love that we have for others. We can't love, truly love, apart from knowing God, His Son Jesus, being dwelt with the Spirit. Can't truly love. But when we pass from death into life, This incredible thing happens where we love others as ourselves. We love others. Here's the other thing. There's definitive change in the life of the believer. 
when you become a believer, there, there's change, there's transformation that happens. You don't just kind of like mosey into life from death. That's not how this happens. You don't just kind of like gradually move. John writes that we have passed from life to death. That word marks a definitive moment or season of moments. Something of deep effect has taken place. This is what happens. We come to Christ and then we're able to, by his grace, love one another. And there's evidence of of what is at work in those who don't love. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Whoever does not love abides in death. And then John would go on to say in verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now here is the reality. I'm thrilled this morning to be in a room full of people uh, who have not murdered anyone. That's a bold assumption, but I'm going to make it, all right? Uh, a lot of the stoic looks on your faces have me pretty concerned. Uh, and I'm not going to try not to cross you out here, okay? Um, but look, is John writing to a group of people that have murdered, that have committed a physical act of harm that will result in the end of life of others. Is that what he's saying? That is not what he's saying in this moment. What is he saying? He's echoing what Jesus would say about murder. Synonymous with hatred. That these things work together. So John is saying that, look, hatred is wanting to take life and deprive others of life. That's what murder looks like spiritually. To want to rob others of life. And those that want to do this live in, they abide in death. Consequently, what does it look like for the people who give life? Look into verse 16. A direct echo of John's gospel, chapter 15 and verse 13, but this is what it says. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I want you to hear what a man named Howard Marshall, a brilliant man, scholar, says of this. The death of Jesus is not simply a demonstration of love. Just in the sense that we might gaze on the spectacle of the crucified Son of God and say, He must have loved very much in order to suffer that. It's not just a picture of love. Instead, what John seeks to say here is that the gospel itself is love. This crucifixion. This laying down of life and the resurrection that subsequently comes with it changes everything. It's not like love. It's not like that's a loving thing. He did that thing and that was loving. It is the very definition of love. That love reveals the love that you and I share together today. That love is the grounds by which all love is shown and demonstrated and formed. This is the love, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And there's something that we have to do with it. 
This is not something we just look at and say that's an incredible example. There's something that God is calling us to do. And what is it that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers? So here's the thing. We live in the reality of, we live in the reality of the gospel life. And all that it affords us. So, so that, that buried body that began to breathe... That resurrection life is the life that is in you and me. That is our very spiritual life. So I would say this, and, and maybe you agree, I, I, I think I grew up in a world where, where I, I think I was really good at saying that Jesus died for me and that Jesus died for others. And I think for the most part, we're, we're good at that. Here's, I think this is really where we struggle and we're and I'm, this is across Christendom. We got to grow in this, all right? All of us. The life that we live in the body is resurrection life. We live. We truly live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave himself for us, and is resurrected and is sitting at the right hand of God. He is alive, is living hope. It is living hope. Our trust is in the finished work of Christ that includes the fact that he's resurrected. We live in that. Now, how are we called to live out that example John says we lay down our lives. Here's what John doesn't mean. He doesn't mean, this is not a call to martyrdom. This is not a call for us to to lay down our life in the way Jesus did. Why, Why is that? Well, here's the reality. My death doesn't bring life to anyone. Jesus' death results in triumph over death and life. This is what John is calling us to, what the Spirit through God's Word is saying to us. We lay down our lives in this way. Just follows it. Look at verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Anybody feeling cut to the heart? The need of the world is not martyrdom. It's not that heroic act. It's the heroic act of self-sacrifice. You and me denying ourselves with the people that are around us. Look around this room. Physically do it. Like Actually look around. Look at the people that you're in community with, that you live with. We love one another. We ought to be sacrificially loving one another. Not with just words or speech, but what? Indeed, in the things that we do, in truth. There ought to be things that we do that reveal this love. So what John is saying is that life ought to reflect life. 
there's, there's an old adage, there's an old saying that your sins will find you out. That, that things will come to light. And we are, we will be revealed. The things that we do will demonstrate who we really are. All right, for you sports fans, here's how we'll say it. Ball don't lie. All right? Except last night when we stole it down and still couldn't win the game. All right? Um, maybe the first time ball hunting live, or ball live. But the things that we do will be revealing of who we are. Are we going to be people that see people in need and we feel that urge to give and we do it? Or we see the need and we don't feel any urge in that moment. Maybe we're hardened. Maybe something's going on. We don't feel the urge. But we do it because we see the need. This is the laying down of life that John describes. And it's not one moment. It's continual moments throughout the course of our life. When we see needs, are we meeting needs? And he says this. And these, these final verses, 19 through 24, really address something that I think is, is crucial in the hearts and minds of believers um, that sometimes we, we fail to think through and we kind of push against. It says this, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So a number of things at work here. Um, but one of the things is that, that John's describing the fact that we have to be a, heart, a part of the process of reassuring our hearts. Of reassuring our hearts. What does that mean? Why would he say that? Why do we have to reassure our hearts? Because our hearts condemn us. Our hearts condemn us. John is talking about these moments of crisis, perhaps even just the internal dark night of the soul. And these things come when we do these hard things, like we examine ourselves. When we examine ourselves and we look to the reality that we have not just fallen short or not just made a mistake or have kind of missed the mark there, go to that place. And it's painful. Go to that place where your heart has condemned you and you remember and think through the things that you've done that have hurt others, that have not been loving to the Father or the Son. When we ask questions, hard questions about who we really are, when we examine ourselves often, our hearts will condemn us. John knows this. And this is why he writes to believers and he says, look, your heart will condemn you. But even that moment, we can know that we're of the truth and reassure these condemning hearts. How do we do that? 
How do you get to a moment of rest in a moment of crisis when you recognize the deep gravity of your sin? Here's how. Even if we have no grounds of assurance to stand on in our lives, in the things that we have done, in the things that we have done, that's somebody out there who's dealing with a condemned heart, all right? I mean, that's so tough. That's incredibly loud. That's not our child, right? Okay, I don't know. All right, bring it back in. Look, even if we have no grounds of assurance ourselves, and this is what we'll try to do, you do this like I do, our hearts condemn us, and we try to, there are these moments that just, like a bolt of lightning that just flash up where we try to justify, oh, but I've done these good things, and I've done this, and I've done that. We always default to ourselves, assurance within ourselves, and we realize there's none. Here's what we do realize. We can confidently believe and the God whose mercy is greater than our sin. The God whose grace is greater than our sin. The God who has given us himself. So when we read words like, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything, the finality of that last statement is challenging. God knows everything. That's terrifying. John means it hopeful. He says it's hopeful. Because God knows the finished work of Christ that has taken root in your life by you believing in, by trusting in the gospel. He knows that. And he knows your failings. And he knows every feeble attempt that you make to love him and you fail. He knows your heart. He knows your heart. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes a book called Spiritual Depression. Um, Brilliant pastor, teacher. Um, I want to read this. This is what he says. Uh, He describes a psalmist in Psalm 42. Um, In spiritual depression, he ultimately... I think we have a slide for this. Sweet. Okay. Okay. In spiritual depression, he describes this moment, this condemning heart moment, this moment when one who has trusted in God, who believes in God, is failing to experience and ultimately really struggling with believing the gospel. And here's what he says. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. He's talking about the psalmist in Psalm 42 who would write these words that are coming up. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you down or cast down, O my soul, he asked. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Here's what's happening in this moment. Here's what John is seeking to say. Don't give in to the feeling of condemnation. 
the battle against despondency, the battle against pain and fear and doubt is the battle to believe the gospel. To believe the gospel. To truly trust in, to truly recognize the very finished work of Christ. The fact that Jesus has lived, that he died, that he was physically buried and rose again. He rose again to life, and we know from Paul's words, the words of the Corinthians, that, that he appeared to the twelve. We see it in the Gospels that he, he saw, people saw him, they testified to him, they witnessed Jesus, that buried body breathing right before them. John, as he writes this, he describes it in this way, that we heard him, that we saw him, that we looked at him up close, that we touched him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I'm cool with the blank stare. I get it. I do. I really do. But I'm talking to you as, as, as somebody that loves you. Do you believe this? your heart can rest in this. And look what happens in verse 22, or 21 rather. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, so John longs for believers to make this move to this place from condemnation of the heart where he says, no, you rest in the finished work of Christ. Now you move to the place where you're confident. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. In the same way that the writer of Hebrews would say that we approach the throne of grace with boldness. This is what he says. We have confidence before God in whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Here's what happens when you believe in the gospel. You get to live in it. And if you live in it, then you get to approach God with boldness. And you get to ask him for things that you need according to his will. It all comes from, look into verse 23. John explicitly points to belief. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. This is everything. Everything. So like you and I live in a world where there's like tips and tricks, right? And there's like, like, here's ways to get ahead and things that you should do, right? Like, so I got a tip. Like, let's not throw the fade route. Let's just run up the gut, all right? Like, like there, are, there are things that we want to offer, words of insight, words of wisdom. We want life to, to, get, to get better. And look, I love, I mean, I love reading. I'm an avid reader. I love all kinds of stuff, fiction, Wild stuff. I love, I love all kinds of stuff. Um, like we just live in a world where we're just believing. What's the most pastoral way to say this? Um, just the dumbest things. <laughs> the dumbest things. 
quit reading self-help. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I want your finances to be sound so that you can earn more, that, so you can give more, so you can save more, all those types of things, right? Um, I mean, quit doing self-care. I'm not saying, like, run yourself into the ground, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But, like, the ways that the world is telling us to take care of ourselves, they are dumb. They're dumb. Here's how I know that they're dumb. They lead you to this place where you wake up in the morning and your heart is condemning you and you wonder why your life is messed up. And you forget your hope. You don't know where your hope is. You're struggling. You're in pain. Do you know why? I'm like not really a screamer. I don't know why I'm screaming at you. Um, you don't believe the gospel. This is it. So like everything in life says like, well, there's a new tip. There's a new trick. You should do this thing. You can try this thing. And we buy into it because it's new. And we think there's something else there or there's something more there. And it's dumb. I hope the children are in here. I hope you're, that's not a bad word in your house. <laughs> uh, Andrew Asano says I'm in trouble. Um, these things are foolish, all right? Okay, that, that can't be worse. Um, but look, this is the reality. This is everything. We don't need new tips. We don't need new tricks. We don't need new things. You know what we need? We need to remember who we are from the beginning. What was taught in the beginning. Paul would say it this way. Just as you receive Christ, so walk in him. There is nothing more beautiful that we can give one another than the gospel. And in my deepest moment of, of sin, people preach the gospel to me. In my deepest moment of obedience, by God's grace, people have been there to preach the gospel to me to let me know that that righteousness is not my own. God's spirit is graciously living out that in me. This is the commandment that's given because life is found here. Love is found here. You want to experience life? You want to have a life that is actually changed, that's transformed? You don't need me to give you like some tips or some tricks. You need news. You need something that has happened. You need some, some, something that you can bank, that you can put and rest your life on. Do you know what it is? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't need it for a moment in your past and then to walk away and try to go be a good person or live some sort of good life. You need the reality of that gospel. I need the reality of that gospel every day. Because when my heart condemns me, I need to know whose I am. And this is what the Spirit does in us. Look into verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. If you are comforted, if you are offered peace, if you are convicted of your sin, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. That happens because you've been made new. 
John's not saying anything new to these believers. What he is saying is that we're not to confuse things that are new with everything that matters. Guys, we live in a world where people will tell us, they will lie to our faces, they belong to the evil one, they will tell us that that our life will be found in material things, in in all of these things that would cause us to be be excited about ourselves, about who we are. And because we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we get to rest on who God says we are. I don't have to make a name for myself, and you don't either. Because God has called us by name. So we're going to take a few moments to just respond this morning. Um, and just the, this, the outflow, the things that come from, from this text this morning are, are, are relatively simple, but they're deeply profound. This is it. If it all boils down to this, and it does, do you believe the gospel? And I'm not talking, and listen to me, I am not talking about I believed the gospel when I was 10 and I got baptized. I'm talking about right now. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection His indwelling you in the Holy Spirit is true and it's real. You may say, I'm struggling to believe that. How do I believe that? Here's what I would say. Preach it to yourself starting right now every day. And let God remind you of who he is and what he's done for you and his son. Do you believe the gospel? Here's the second thing. Um, Are we laying down our lives for others? I mean, truly, are we laying down our lives for others? Are we seeing people in need and meeting those needs? In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about opportunities to do that here in the context of our church. And we need to be a part of that together. We need to be a part of of laying down our life. What does that look like? What does that mean? It means giving your time. It means giving some money. It means giving your heart. It means giving energy so that other people can experience that gospel love that you've received. Let's don't hold on to it. Let's give it with open hands. So this morning, as we come to a time of response, um, here's what I would ask. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've not experienced this gospel love, um, just candidly, personally, I want to talk with you. I want to share with you that life is found in him. And I I want you to walk an aisle. I want you to come find me afterwards. I want you to find somebody that you think knows me and get my number from them and text me or call me. Find a way to allow God to change your life and make you new in his son by his spirit. Um, and look, in this moment, this is a genuine expectation. There's no expectation. <laughs> you don't have to stand. You don't have to sing. You might just want to think. You might want to pray. I think you're going to be drawn to sing. <laughs> but spend time asking God 
to help you believe the gospel again, anew, afresh this morning. And ask God to show you where you can lay down your life. And that when you're encountered with that moment when someone has needs, that you would be obedient to him and that you would seek to give. So pray with me as we enter this time of response. Heavenly Father, God, we are sinners. We have passed from death to life. That passing has come by your hand. It is not what we have done. We were dead in our trespasses, and you have made us alive in Jesus. Father, we're thankful for that. We long, Father, to be obedient to you. God, we long to come before you as ones who believe your gospel, who trust in you and recognize that we can approach you boldly, Father, because you love us. God, draw us to you. And Father, would you awaken our hearts to the needs of others around us, to the people that have anxieties and fears and doubts and pains and joys and hopes and dreams, Father, for the people that have a wife or a husband or a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister or a mother or a father, God, people that are just like us in every way that have needs, that have real needs, God, would you use us to meet those needs and would you be glorified as people see that love? So in this time, work on our hearts and cause us to respond to your goodness. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.